For many years, I've been mastering the art of selective listening. As a young child, when there was a noise or a voice that I didn't want to attend to, I would just stick my fingers in my ears uh, when I didn't want to hear what someone was saying. And then slowly I learned the, the blank stare, the smile and nod method, where I would simply tune things out. Oh, great. Just kind of look straight ahead. And then came these brilliant things, the earbuds. I learned that I didn't have to turn foreground noise into background noise. I could just completely drown out the foreground noise by putting these in my ears and listening to my favorite podcast, listening to almost any song that I wanted. Selective hearing is dangerous because hearing opens up all the other senses in some cases. I'm more likely to see what I hear. I respond to what I hear. If I filter out critical sounds, I can't respond to them. You know, for instance, uh, I've been known to listen to the Serial podcast while doing dishes, uh, which is actually a very peaceful thing to do if you were to contrast that with breaking up an argument between small children. Sometimes my children wail loudly, not necessarily because they're in a fight, but because they're hurt or they're injured. And I don't see the wound because I don't hear the cries. Selective hearing closes down the incoming flow of critical information. Selective hearing wraps us, as it were, in a cone of isolation. You know this if you've ever been in a conflict that never resolves, or if you've observed a conflict that never resolves. One person in the conflict has something to say. Well, but the other person in the conflict has something to say too. And neither one's really interested in hearing. Neither one's really interested in listening. Both have heavy ears. And so one message gets sent and bounces off. And then another message gets sent and bounces off. And you have two cones of isolation shooting BBs at each other. But there's no listening. And there's no relationship. Would you like to hear from God? Would you like God to speak to you? If he had something to say to you personally, some word of encouragement or comfort, some word of correction, some kind of help, he wanted a message to get through to you, would you want to hear that message? If the Lord himself had a message to give to our congregation, would you want to be part of the chorus of listeners to hear and absorb what he had to say. You know, God communicates. That's, that's one of the main attributes that you see in Scripture is that he's a communicating God. He's always speaking. It's how he gets things done. He speaks. He gives messages. He creates reality and influences reality through his speaking word. That's how he loves in many cases, that's how he's redeemed. His own son is called the living word. The word made flesh. It was a way for God to communicate. He communicates all the time. 
He speaks today to individuals and to churches. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to us. But we have this bad habit of selective listening. There's other things to be heard. There's other things to be checked and distractions that seem to really ask very little of us. Yet they soak up all of our attention. Everything just fades to background noise. Everything we're not paying attention to at that nanosecond just gets lost. Selective hearing stops up our spiritual senses. When we cannot hear from God, we won't see him. We won't know what he's up to. We won't hear his invitations to rest or to take initiative. We'll miss words of discernment. We'll miss words of comfort. We might feel far from God after a while because we can't hear from God. Lent is the moment where we take the earbuds out and start listening again. Lent is our opportunity to say, okay, no more to the ceaseless flow of information, the noise, and just say, speak now, Lord. Your church is listening. Your servant is listening. It's good for our sanity. It's good for our souls. It's good to say no more to the constant demands, the constant noise, and begin to open up our ears again. Sometimes I need that loud voice when I'm so into the podcast, I'm so into my playlist, all of a sudden I'll hear, Aaron or Dad. Normal voice doesn't work anymore. I need loud voice. And then I look up and I see the face looking at me. So I take the earbuds out. A loud voice carries authority and power that normal voice doesn't. It breaks through the, the cone of isolation. And then relationship then becomes possible. You know, God does speak quietly. He whispers. He, he doesn't try to control us. We're not robots. But he's got the lungs to use loud voice when he needs to. He's got the capacity to bring loud voice when it's time for a breakthrough. Ash Wednesday is loud voice for the Lord to speak our names, to call us out of the noise, to call us out of the distraction, say, I want to tell you something. I want to call you to something. I want to commune at a deeper level. This is the night of loud voice from the Lord. And in order for us to hear what the Lord had to say, we need an example from history, an example from the living scriptures to help us understand what Jesus said to a pastor and to the seven congregations that he was responsible for. Read with me in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And here we'll see Jesus speaking clearly and loudly as he is to us now. 
I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And this is the voice of Jesus saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And he lists the seven churches. All of them were in Asia Minor. You know, John was a pastor to all these churches. They were carrying on 30 years after Jesus uh, had his ministry and, and, and died, rose again, and ascended to the Father. So 30 years after Jesus' ministry, all of the churches that are seeking to be faithful are under great pressure. The, the Roman government is starting to crack down on these Christian churches because they're starting to grow. And, and eventually they will take the blame for much of Rome's ills. And in, in some cases, they would be impaled on poles and burned alive so that people going on vacation out of Rome would see them along the roads. In some cases, there would be a hole drilled in their head and their whole heads filled with, with molten metals as a way to respond to this Christian threat. And so the pressure's on, the temperature's getting hotter, and they're feeling the squeeze. Their pastor is in prison. Not just in prison, they can't visit him. He's exiled to an island called Patmos. And no one can reach him. But Jesus can reach him. And Jesus has something to say to him. And he has something to say to the seven congregations. Jesus is always ready to speak to his churches. He's always ready to speak to his churches, not only in Asia Minor in, in, uh, in the first century, but also now here in Chicago in the 21st century. We are, as the church, what Eugene Peterson called listening posts. We are listening posts. The whole world might be distracted. The whole world might have earbuds in their ears and may not hear a single word from the speaking Jesus. But churches are listening posts for the word of God through the, word, through the living word. All who assemble here now, all who assemble here every Sunday morning and in your small groups are listening posts to the living word. He's here. He's with us. He's speaking in ways that we can see and ways that we can't see. And he was with each suffering church. Each of these seven churches in Asia Minor, he was with them. Verse 12 says this, Then I, John, turned to see the voice. So he hears the voice, and then he turns to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, like one, like, one, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Jesus here is presented as wearing royal beautiful priestly garments and he's here to to mediate the blessings of God to the people of God he's walking among as he called John sees him walking among seven lampstands the lampstands are the churches who are the light of the world and the closer they listen the brighter they burn the closer these lampstands listen to the living word as he walks among them with his beautiful priestly garments, the brighter they will burn. That's why he has come. So what will he say? 
Well, you know, he's going to give seven personalized messages, one to each church. Each Sunday in Lent, we're going to unpack each message, one at a time. So if you don't have a home church, you're welcome to join us. If this is your home church, please join us for Lent. But tonight, we're going to look at the voice. We're not going to unpack all the messages. We're just going to look at the voice for hints of what he's going to say. We need hints. We need a reason to keep listening. And his very appearance gives us a reason to keep listening. When we look at the Son of Man in Revelation 1, we see a sobering vision. We see a cleansing vision. And it helps us start listening. The Son of Man reveals three things with his appearance. The first message is one of forgiveness. He's speaking forgiveness to the lampstands. He's speaking forgiveness to the churches. Notice in verse 14, the very first part, there's a physical quality that John notices. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Now the book of Revelation is chock full of references to the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. There's so many, sometimes one verse has three or four allusions or direct references to the Old Testament. And this is one of the first ones that we find. White, white like snow. That is a reference um, from the Old Testament promise that our sins could be forgiven. That every way that we have contributed to the problems of the world that have been rightly attributed to us as the source can be washed away clean so that there's no stain on us so that we can stand before God without any shame. Jesus' hair is white like wool, like snow, and it's a symbol for what he can do for our souls. And now notice, as it were, the last physical quality, almost like brackets, as one uh, scholar noted. Not only does he have white hair like snow, but his last physical quality is his face is shining. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. The last part of verse 16 says. Now in the Old Testament, when the Lord's face shone, it was was a hopeful thing. It meant that God was going to be gracious to you. It meant that God was receiving you. It meant that the covenant that kept the communication between God and man, that covenant was live. That it was happening, that it was electric, and that there's reason for hope. The Lord has offered his divine acceptance for the people. Jesus shows up in John's vision with a bright, beaming, inviting face of forgiveness. It's a kind of invitation that will draw us up and out of ourselves when we're tempted to despair over our our faults and beat ourselves up. Yes, we have gone our own way. Yes, we have been distracted. And yes, we have missed the voice of the Lord. But Jesus comes to us with a face and even hair shining and white with forgiveness and welcome. He approaches us with forgiveness and blessing. It's coming out of his pores. The first message is forgiveness. The second message is relationship. And when you're building a relationship with someone... Two basic building blocks is eye contact and conversation. Eye contact and and an exchange of words. Somehow, 
somehow words have to be exchanged. If you can't have eye contact and you can't exchange communication, it's going to be very difficult to create a relationship. Jesus brings both. In the middle of verse 14, it says that his eyes were like a flame of fire. The gaze of Jesus is, is intense upon us as his church and as his people. He looks on us as one who knows us. That's why it burns when he watches us. Here's what one Old Test- or New Testament scholar says of this phrase. Christ's gaze penetrates and purifies. He doesn't look at us. He looks into us. We are not a spectacle to Christ. We are invaded by him. Holiness gets inside of us, and when it gets inside of us, it changes us. This is eye contact of its most intense forms. But it's not just eye contact. In the middle of verse 15, John references, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. This is a symbol for the words of Jesus. This two-edged sword are the words of Jesus coming from his mouth. This is how he created the world, but this is also how he gets to the heart of things when he speaks to us as his church and when he speaks to us as his people. It pierces, as Hebrews says, the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever had a discerning conversation? Have you ever been on the other end of spiritual direction? This is spiritual direction from Jesus himself and how much we need this discernment. It's conversation in its most healing, satisfying, and intense forms. Jesus wants to talk with you about matters of the heart, and he wants to talk to our church about matters of the heart. He always will want that. He always wants intense conversation. Dare we hold that conversation with Jesus? Dare we hold eye contact with the one whose eyes shine brightly, who pierce, who know they know what's going on? Not with hate, not with judgment, but with great love and great truth. He came for this conversation. That's why he's Emmanuel. He came to be with us. He came to converse with us. He knows what it's like to be us. And he wants us to know what it's like to live his life too. But that can only come when we look him in the eye and when we listen to his words. There's no formula. There's no predicting how that conversation will go. But that's the essence of relationship. That's what relationship is. You connect and you follow the connection where it leads. I will tell you this, it's not predictable, but it's always good because he is so good. Don't you wanna know what he's thinking? Don't you wanna know what he sees? He comes with forgiveness. He comes with relationship. And finally, Jesus Christ will come and has come with power. Jesus is king of the universe. He's defeated death. He knows how to do stuff. And I think sometimes we forget about this. 
that somehow he's an otherworldly person. He's, a, he's very much a new worldly person. The new world is going to be so much better and is becoming so much better than the one we live in. Jesus has power. Jesus has authority. Jesus is smart, as Dallas Willard noted rightly. And he knows how to do stuff. Let's look at the vision again. Verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. What does it mean that his feet are burnished bronze, refined in a furnace? Well, his kingdom and rule has a solid, solid foundation. You know, Nebuchadnezzar and all the countless pagan kings and, and, and kingdoms, you know, they had really impressive crowns. You know, they had like a really big army and they had, they had a really impressive palace. But their feet was made of clay. And so eventually they crumbled. And we see this happen again and again. It's not new to us. People with impressive crowns have clay feet. Their rule is not built on something solid. Their rule is built on something passing, like human glory and ego and control and fear. Jesus' kingdom is solid and stands on the feet of burnished bronze. He's already been refined by death. He's already died. And then he crushed death under his foot along with Satan. He stands on the snake's neck. And he says, what are you going to do now? I'm making all things new. I have the keys of death and hell. You can't scare me. I'm starting something entirely new, entirely better. And verse 16 says this, in his hand, he holds seven stars. You know, in the ancient world, they worshiped the stars. They tried to align their lives with the stars. They tried to discern and divine. What do the stars want us to do? Jesus is holding the cosmos in his right hand like a dagger. And he's ready to move it and wield it in whatever way he needs to to get his mission accomplished. They'll say later that the, the stars are the seven angels that each church has as its guardian. He's the Lord of the church, and he's the Lord of the cosmos, and it's in his right hand. Jesus comes with power for the churches. Jesus comes with kerosene for the lampstands. Jesus, when he speaks... He will give power to the churches to accomplish their mission, and He will give us power. He has, again and again. He has given Emmanuel Anglican Church the capacity to carry out our mission. We'll need it every day. We'll need it every week. That's why we listen to His voice, because He has power that we don't have. It comes from His voice. Forgiveness, power, relationship. This can feel very overwhelming. Um, and it was overwhelming for John. When he, got, when he just took all this in, started soaking it in, he needed the Son of Man to, to actually touch him. Verse 17 says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. 
You know, sometimes it's the touch of Jesus that gives us the comfort we need to start listening to him again. Sometimes we, we have been, we've been so burned by religion or just so burned out, period. We're so discouraged, we're so afraid that we just need Jesus to just give us some kind of touch so that we can begin to listen to him again or for the first time. And I just want to make a special invitation tonight that as you receive the ashes, you receive them as a grace from the living Christ and his church. Consider with me what these ashes might represent for you on your journey of listening to Jesus and for us on our journey of listening to Jesus. You know, on the one hand, they're made of ash. And that reminds us that like John, sometimes in the presence of Christ, we feel like we're going to die. And in some cases, it is a reminder of our mortality that we have come from dust and to dust we shall return. We're sinners. We're not capable of doing what we need to do. We've not listened well to Jesus. But it's not just their ash. They're also made in the sign of the cross, which is is a witness and a testimony that we've seen Jesus. We've heard Jesus. It's, It's the cross on our foreheads is shorthand for Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And he's speaking. You know, but then there's this other thing, which is that for at least a few minutes or a few hours, we just, we let it linger here, don't we? We wear, we wear the ashes on our foreheads. We, we'll wear it for the rest of the service. We'll wear it when we go home. Maybe someone will see it. And that's our way of saying, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Here you are. I, 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 I'm asking for you to be the center of my attention, the center of my imagination. Fill my imagination and my heart with your word, with your truth, with your love. When you let the ashes linger on your forehead for a while, you're, you're letting it be in some ways a, an authority over all other distractions, saying, no, 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 the cross is lifted high. All of the distractions, I'm going to say no to those. I'm going to say no to the demands. And I'm going to listen to Jesus Christ. See, this is a new kind of selective listening, isn't it? It's selective listening to the one voice we can't afford to ignore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.